Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recaps, The Golden Girls. Today we're on Season 4, Episode 11, The Auction. This episode originally aired on January 14th of 1989. So why don't we find out what else transpired on that date in history? Well, not a lot really. Um, in 1690, the clarinet is invented in Nuremberg, Germany. Uh, in 1953, the first president of Yugoslavia, Josip Braz Tito, is elected. Uh, in 1972, Margrethe II of Denmark becomes the first Queen of Denmark since 1412. And our most recent event on January 14th of 2019, according to a new report by the United States National Safety Council, an American's chance of dying from an accidental opioid overdose is higher than a car accident. That is our most recent historical event. So, okay. why don't you tell us what transpired on in this art-filled edition of The Golden Girls. Oh boy. Alrighty. In this unbelievable episode, we get scene one. We're in the living room. Dorothy enters from the front door. She's sorting through the mail. Sophia enters from the bedroom hall and says there was a puddle in her bed in the middle of the night. Luckily, her ceiling is leaking, not. Okay, Rose enters, carrying two buckets. Blanche enters and says the ceiling in her bedroom caved in last night. Boy, this is a pretty sad shaped roof here. They need a new roof, yes. Blanche is called a roofer and he arrives. He does not appear to be very good, but he quotes $10,000 for a new roof, a couple hundred dollars just for doing a little patch job. And he needs to make a phone call, and the girls all head to the kitchen to discuss what they're going to do. Scene two, they're in the kitchen. Girls can't afford a new roof and can barely afford a patch job. They decide on a new roof and hope he will let them pay in installments. Yes, they go back to the living room as Sid, the repairman, is ending the phone call and not letting his dad take longer to pay. Uh-oh, the girls tell him, patch job. Uh, he'll see what he can do. Sophia is leaving. It is her day to volunteer at the hospital. Blanche is going to an art show tomorrow night that is featuring the work of one Mr. Jasper de Kimmel. Yes, Blanche shows them a brochure of one of his paintings and tries to describe the meaning. Uh, yeah, it's not for Blanche. Scene three, we're at the art show. All four girls enter, they talk, we see a mime. Uh, Rose love, uh, loves mimes as her uncle Gustav was a coal mimer. Yeah, not a coal miner. He had a bad back and didn't want to lose his medical benefits. So every morning he went down the shaft and pretended to work. Uh -huh. Sophia talks to the mime with no effect and she'll, until she tells him his fly is open. Yeah, Dorothy spots a self-portrait by Jasper de Kimmel. And the man himself comes out and talks to the girls and tells them his portrait is hung upside down. Uh, the girls talk to him a little. He insults Rose and her shoes with the dress she is wearing. 
Yeah, they're black open-toed shoes, and she's wearing a blue, a royal blue dress. Uh, he also humiliates them with another one of his paintings. Uh, he leaves, and Rose decides she will have some fun with two mimes that are pretending to carry a big plate of glass. Uh, then we hear the glass shattering as they were not mimes, yes. Way to go, Rose. Scene four, we're in the living room. There's more leaks from the roof, and we get a beach towel memory from Blanche. Ah, uh, the three girls come up with a way to come up with close to 10,000, and they decide to get a new roof. Sophia enters and tells us that she did not have a good day at the hospital. She got stuck with the meanest patient, and it just happened to be the one Jasper de Kimmel, and he only has two weeks to live. Blanche has an ideal about his artwork and increasing in value when he dies. Ah, there is an auction of his artwork this week. Ha ha, they will attend. Scene five, we're in the kitchen. Sophia and Dorothy, they can't sleep. Rose comes in as she couldn't sleep either. Blanche comes in and says she had the best night of sleep ever until she learns it is just four o'clock. Uh, they don't feel right about profiting from the inside information they have. Sophia says, picture it, Sardinia. 1932. No, not Sicily. Sardinia. She went away for the weekend. She's on tour of the great caper factories of Sardinia. She was a kooky kid going through her piccata period. Um, yeah, when she, she would have been 27 years old at that time. A wedge of lemon and a smart answer for everything. She was slicing an onion when this big basil tree. Uh, Dorothy interrupts as Sophia is not making any sense. She does not have a story about taking advantage of a dead guy, but she does have one for a Moroccan and a monkey. Yeah, way off base here. Scene six, we're at the auction. The three girls are in the front row. They accidentally bid on a statue, and luckily they don't win. Next up is a painting by their artist, and they win the bid with $9,000. They call Sophia at the hospital, and she tells them he is going to live as the rare blood donor for him has been found. Yes, the rare blood donor turns out to be Sophia. Scene seven, we're in the living room. They are all on the couch staring at the painting. The doorbell rings and it is Sid, the roof repairman. He has always wanted a de Kimmel painting. <laughs> sure. And Sophia bargains with him for a new roof for the painting and he can throw in $3,000 cash. Wow, the girls are very happy as this episode comes to an end. Well, uh, that is very exciting. Uh, so we have a few cultural references, of course, uh, throughout this episode. Um, for example, um, let us see here. Uh, we are referenced to uh, Zorro. Uh, who is a fictional character created in 1919 by uh, American pulp writer Johnston McCulley. Appears in works set in the Pueblo of Los Angeles during the era of Spanish California from 1769 to 1821. Uh, Murder, She Wrote, which is an American crime drama TV series. Uh, it aired for 12 seasons and followed by four TV films. 
uh, non-representational art, uh, which, of course, um, is art that does not attempt to represent or reference reality in any discernible way. Uh, in the late 19th century, artists began moving towards more non-representational and abstract concepts in painting as a means of communicating subjective experience more personally and creatively. Uh, so that's a short version of non-representational art. Of course, we could spend a lot more time on it if we wanted to. Uh, a cream sickle um, is a um, uh, like it's a popsicle, but it's like made out of cream or something. I well, I don't know. Okay. Um, let's see. Mimes um, are. You know, uh, a person uh, who uses mime as a theatrical medium or performance art. Now, miming involves acting out a story through body motions without the use of speech. Uh, in earlier times in English, such a performer would typically be referred to as a mummer. It is uh, very different from silent comedy in which the artist is a character in a film or sketch without sound. Uh... And that's mime, uh, you know, uh, it originates at its earliest in ancient Greece, uh, although at that time performances were not necessarily silent. Uh, you know, no, no one really knows for sure, of course. Uh, the painter Claude Monet uh, was a French painter, founder of the French Impressionist painting and the most consistent and prolific practitioner of the movement's philosophy of expressing one's perceptions before nature, especially as applied to plein air landscape painting. Uh, the term Impressionism is derived from the title of his painting Impression Soleil Levant, or Impression Sunrise, which was exhibited in 1874 in the first of the independent exhibitions mounted by Monet and his associates as an alternative to the Salon de Paris. Uh, so that's the short version of uh, Monet, um, Father Flanagan, this was bizarre, uh, so, um, okay. I'm assuming this is the correct person, so, uh, Monsignor Edward Joseph Flanagan was an Irish-born Catholic priest, uh, who founded the orphanage known as Boys Town in Douglas County, Nebraska. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, Prime Minister Botha is uh, Pieter Willem Botha, uh, commonly known as P.W. or De Groot Crocodile, which is Afrikaans for the big crocodile, uh, who was the leader of South Africa from 1978 to 1999, serving as its final Prime Minister from 1978 to, 18, to 1984, and the first executive state president from 1984 to 1989. Uh, so that is short version of um, uh, of uh, P.W. Botha. I don't know why he came up with this episode, but nonetheless. Um, Attica Prison, we've talked about many times, is a, uh, a maximum security prison in New York State. Uh, a seance... Uh, is an attempt to communicate with spirits. Now, the word séance comes from the French word for session, uh, which is from the old French séor, or to sit. 
Uh, in French, the word's meaning is quite general. One may, for example, speak of une séance de cinéma, or a movie session. Uh, in English, however, the word came to be used specifically for a meeting of people who are gathered to receive messages from ghosts or to listen to a spirit medium discourse with and or relay messages from spirits. Uh, in modern English usage, participants need not be seated while engaged in a séance. Now, one of the earliest books on the subject of communication amongst deceased persons was Communication with the Other Side by George First Baron Littleton, which was published in England in 1760. Uh, among the notable spirits quoted in that book are Peter the Great, Pericles, a, quote, North American savage, uh, William Penn, and Christina, Queen of Sweden. Uh, the popularity of seances grew dramatically with the founding of spiritual religion in the mid-19th century. Perhaps the best-known series of seances conducted at that time were those of Mary Todd Lincoln, uh, who, grieving the loss of her son, organized seances held in the White House, uh, which were attended by her husband, then-President Abraham Lincoln, and other prominent members of society. Uh, the 1887 Seibert Commission report marred the credibility of spiritualism at the height of its popularity by publishing exposures of fraud and showmanship among secular seance leaders. Modern seances continue to be a part of the religious services of spiritualists, spiritist, and espiritismo churches today, where a greater emphasis is placed on spiritual values versus showmanship. Uh, so that is a, a short version of a seance. Uh, Liberace, an American pianist, singer, and actor. Uh, Snowcaps is a brand of candy consisting of small pieces of semi-sweet chocolate candy covered with white nonpareils. Uh, the candy was introduced in the late 1920s, uh, and that's pretty much it. Uh, it can be found around the world commonly at movie theaters, according to uh, its Wikipedia page. Uh, Devil Dogs um, uh, is a basically the same thing, kind of, but it's more like a Twinkie, I guess. Um, I don't really know. There's nothing on here about really what exactly a Devil Dog is. It just redirects to the company's page. So if you want to know a lot about Drake's Cakes, I can tell you all about them. <laughs> Um, they were founded in 1896 uh, by Newman E. Drake in Harlem. Uh, and they make snack cake products such as Devil Dogs, Funny Bones, Coffee Cakes, Ring Dings, and Yodels. Uh, it was primarily marketed in the Northeast U.S., but expanded to the Mid-Atlantic and Southeastern regions in 2016. Um, Oreo Cookies is, uh, we know what those are. Um, Ho-Ho's are small, cylindrical, frosted, cream-filled chocolate snack cakes with a pinwheel design based on the Swiss roll. Uh, so that is that. Um, um, so I wasn't quite sure if this is, I think Sophia brings this up, I don't know for sure, but um, someone brings up an assassination attempt on the mayor of San Francisco in this episode. I wasn't quite sure what they meant, so if they meant, like, one that happened in, like, around when this episode aired, or, like, when it would have been taped. Uh, obviously, the notable one would be uh, George Moscone and Harvey Milk uh, would be the notable assassinations that would fit this. 
Uh, so that's what I assume they meant. Okay. Uh, so the Moscone milk assassinations, of course, were the killings of San Francisco Mayor George Moscone and San Francisco Supervisor Harvey Milk, uh, who were shot and killed in San Francisco City Hall by former Supervisor Dan White in November of 1978. Uh, and that's pretty much that. That's um, probably what that was, Okay. Yes. Um, so, you know, that's the case. Um this this also um you know the notable part of, there's two notable parts for this of course um uh this leads to Diane Feinstein uh, becoming the mayor of San Fran eventually California senator uh and then it sparks the white knight riots after the trial when white is convicted of man of voluntary manslaughter uh rather than uh, a murder charge uh, and this led to the state of California abolishing the diminished capacity criminal defense and also led to the urban legend of the, quote, Twinkie defense, uh, as many media reports had incorrectly described the defense as having attributed White's diminished capacity to the effects of sugar-laden junk food. Okay. Um, so that's huh. the short version of, of that. Um, we'll come back to this because this might be a long one. Um, so Greco-Roman statue work or classical sculpture uh, refers generally to sculpture from both ancient Greece and Rome, as well as the Hellenized and Romanized civilizations under the ruler influence, uh, which is a period of time ranging from about 500 uh, BCE to about 200 CE. It uh, can also refer more precisely to a period within ancient Greek sculpture, from around 500 BCE to the onset of the Hellenistic style around 323 BCE. Um, the main subject, of course, of these uh, times of sculpture uh, was the human figure, typically male and nude or nearly nude. Um, apart from the heads of portrait sculptors, the bodies were highly idealized, but did achieve an unprecedented degree of naturalism. In addition to freestanding statues, the term classical sculpture incorporates relief work, such as the famous Elgin marbles from the Parthenon, uh, and the flatter bas-relief style, uh, where sculptural works emphasize the human form reliefs were employed to create elaborate decorative scenes. Uh, so that's uh, the short version of that. And then the show 30-something is about um, a group of 30-year-olds in the 80s, uh, trying to negotiate being 30 in the 80s. Um, <clears throat> uh, so the one that's going to take a while, probably. Um, I don't know how this came up, but so um, the economic policy of George Bush the first. Um, so uh, actually, this is a short paragraph, which is a preview of a like 200-page essay, which I'm not going to read. <laughs> or we'll be here for days. Um, so, the summary of this uh, uh, here. So, um, the Bush uh, administration inherited an economy which had seen a period of six years of credit-based growth. Although the budget deficit had fallen from 5% of GDP in 1985 to 3% in 1989, the expectation when Bush assumed office was that the U.S. economy would at best experience a period of slow growth and at worst move into a recession. Uh, the prospects for a continued decline in the budget deficit due to increased tax revenue from economic growth were therefore not very good. 
a renewed growth in the budget deficit. I have no clue what like 90% of this means, just for context. Um, a renewed growth in the budget deficit was a definite risk. The challenge was to maintain economic growth, which in the short term meant managing a soft landing for the U.S. economy while reducing the budget and trade deficits. Now, throughout the Reagan years, there had been constant reference to the need to reduce the budget deficit, but the economy continued to grow all the same. At the same time, it was possible to argue that America would continue to finance its debt. There was also a growing belief that the dead weight of debt had by 1989 reached the point at which it threatened the long-term prospects for the U.S. economy. I don't know if that was helpful, but that's what <laughs> they were referencing. Okay. Um, we have a few side characters. Uh, Sid Labass. Uh, that must be the roofer guy. Yes. Okay. Uh, he was played by Michael McManus. Uh, has an award win. I'll see if this is an actual award. Uh, known for Poltergeist, in which he plays Ben Tuthill. I think that's one of the assistant ghost hunter people, I think. I could be wrong, but I think that's who that is. I'm not strong on Poltergeist. Um, Heart, <laughs> Hot Shots Part Duh. Oh, he was a producer on that, sorry. Um, Police Academy 4, the Kentucky Fried movie, and um, something called Secret Sins of the Father. Okay. Uh, so what's this award win? Uh, he won a, oh, a Writers Guild Award for a Steve Martin special that he helped write, apparently. Um, the Mime is played by Derek Lauren, known for Dracula, Dead and Loving It, Space, Above and Beyond, uh, The Vagrant, and, uh, oh, he was on Eric Andre, the uh, Vivica A. Fox episode of Eric Andre. He appeared on uh, there. He's also director... Uh, who has directed one, well, one thing. One short film called A Riverside Evening in 2005. Uh, Jasper de Kimmel, uh, who, you know, when this episode started and we got to that point, I wasn't quite sure if this was, you know, like that, that actor episode from a uh, while back, like if this was an actual yeah. artist. <laughs> it's not. He, he was made up just like that. Who was that? Patrick Vaughn or Patrick something? Patrick Vaughn. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, so Jasper de Kimmel was played by Tony Steedman, uh, known for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, in which he portrays Socrates, uh, Citizen Smith, Scrooged, and uh, the 1994 film Iron Man. Ooh. It, okay. That's not a ooh. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That was the TV show. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, TV show. Okay. Yeah. He provided the voice of Justin Hammer. Ah, Okay. Um, the Auctioneer is played by Colin Hamilton, known for Flashdance, Dark Shadows, Wedlock, and Two Minute Warning. Woohoo! Wow. Uh, and the last role, Woman, was played by Renata Scott, known for My Best Friend's Wedding, Chaplin, Star Trek Next Generation, she appears in one episode, uh, and Love Stinks as some role called Mrs. Little John. Huh. Uh, we have two new sex partners established in this episode. Ed Rosen, whom Blanche was engaging in Zorro roleplay with, uh, and an unnamed man on the Fort Lauderdale beach during spring break. Uh, both, of course, for Blanche. So, 
Our tally stands Blanche 63, Dorothy 6, Rose 5, and Sophia all the way up to 4. Okay. I'm going to go back to your Twinkie defense. The okay. Mayor of San Francisco, etc. And uh, okay. here's the script of that little part in the episode. Okay. Okay, they're in the kitchen. It's 4 a.m. Dorothy and Rose are in there, and they couldn't sleep. So Dorothy said, or Rose says, why else would we be up at 4 a.m.? I couldn't sleep either. But I think it was something I ate before bed. So Dorothy says, what did you eat? And Rose says, nothing out of the ordinary. A handful of snow caps, a couple of devil dogs, okay. some Oreos. Oh, yeah, and a ho-ho chopped up in a bowl of fruit cocktail with heavy syrup. And Dorothy, of course, couldn't sleep. I'm surprised you didn't try to kill the mayor of San Francisco. Okay, so I am right. Okay. So, yeah, it's definitely the Twinkie defense. Yeah, okay. With all the, you ate mm-hmm. all that right before bed? Yeah, jeez. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> jeez. Am That's going to be a sugar crash later. Oh, my. Yeah, okay. Yeah, my few uh, uh, observations of this episode, I mean... Last episode, we hear nothing about, you know, the roof leaking at all, and this time it sounds like the roof is caving in. I mean, the roof caved in on Blanche's bed. There's, it's like, wow, how, the roof can't get that bad in one week unless they had a hurricane or something. But then they have a real hard time coming up with $10,000 in cash, which, of course, you know, I can understand because they couldn't come up with $2,500 for uh, Dorothy and her ring, or the tax audit thing. They, they couldn't come up with the 10000 but boy, when the painting goes on sale for the auction, they had 9000 yeah. real easy. It yeah, like, well. What? You got not, You only need 10000 What? I mean, <laughs> if you disregard that, it's not a bad plan, quite frankly. It's... It's not a bad plan if the dude actually dies. That painting is going to be worth like triple that almost immediately. I don't think every artist... No, but they, they frame it as he is notable. He's, he's a notable artist. Notable. Which, so, yes, but wow. they, they yeah. Which, in that case, yeah, that's, that's going to be the case if he actually dies. Uh, it was like, wow. Couldn't come up with ten. But here's nine thousand. Really? Yeah, oh, here's okay. nine. Yep, no issue. So okay, we need sure. Another thousand for the roof, ladies. Okay. Anyway, uh, and if your roof's that bad, then you know maybe your home insurance might pay a little, depending on why it's so bad that quick. But anyway, um, the kitchen, nothing different. Uh, oh my counts. The only count I had was one picture it story. Which Sophia was not very good at that one. Uh, so total counts: weddings, planned weddings are now at nine. Saint Olaf, uh, physical abuses of Rose, sorry, are at eleven. Saint Olaf stories twenty-six. Picture at stories nineteen. Cheesecakes eaten twelve. Sicily Italian story seven. Sicily Italian references thirty-three. Girls mad at each other moving out seventeen. And twenty-two sports, twenty-six games, and eleven. Stanley's the Bornak appearances. My rating for this episode, it seems to be an uneven episode, but there are some good laughs along the way. 76 out of 100. 
I'll do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps, the Golden Girls. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content like this. And until that next episode, goodbye.